Father, as I begin this final message on John 3.16, I'm so keenly aware on Christmas morning of a whole array of possible reasons why it might not or might have tremendous eternal impact. And I just pray now that you'd come in these next 20 minutes or so. That you'd draw near, Father. That you'd open hearts. That you'd release my tongue and my mind and heart. And that you, Lord God, would glorify your Son, Jesus, so manifestly that he is irresistibly attractive and truthful for every soul in this room. In his name I pray. Amen. Well, one more Sunday now. We've been on it for three. We have one more in our looking at John 3.16. I want you to say it with me one more time. We'll use the word uh, whoever instead of whosoever and the word eternal life instead of everlasting life. If we get that much between our versions fixed, I think we can corporately say it to one another and to the Lord. Let's say it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son... That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Oh, I hope you know it. I hope you believe it. And if you haven't believed in the Son yet, I hope that God will move and open you to that this morning. That word of Jesus tells us about the danger, that's the first D, of perishing without him. It tells us about the design of God's love to rescue us from perishing. It tells us about the duty of the human soul in responding in faith or belief to the Son so that we can link up with the design of God to save by His love. And this morning, it tells us the fourth D about the destiny that we have in eternal life if we have believed. In the love of God. So let's meditate. Let's take our minds now and for the next little while focus our minds earnestly, intently upon the destiny of the promise of this text. Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. This is Christmas morning. And there isn't anything better to think about on Christmas morning than what Jesus said the purpose of Christmas was. John 10.10 I came that they might have what? Life. And that they might have it abundantly. Christmas is about a, a mission to give life. And so as I thought about it, I thought as we bring this series to a climax on Christmas morning, let me Jesus just join you in that mission. Let my words be an extension of the incarnation and join you in the mission of ministering life. And that's what I would like to have happen as I preach this morning. What I want to do is walk you through nine stages of eternal life. It will not take an eternity to walk through the nine stages of eternal life. They go fairly quickly, in fact, too quickly. But I want you to ask this question as I walk you through nine stages of eternal life. Ask, where am I? Where am I? 
Where, where am I in this sequence of stages? And then at the end, we'll see. Stage number one. Eternal life is in Christ. John 1, 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Or, a text that's more familiar than that, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the point here, very simple, is that if you have eternal life this morning, it didn't originate in you. It doesn't belong to you by nature. It isn't part of your natural human mortality. It belongs to Jesus, the Son of God, by nature. He has life in himself. Life originates in God, all of life. And therefore, if it is to be mine, I'm going to have to get it as a gift, and it's going to have to come in and through Jesus, because it starts in the second person of the Trinity, and the life that reverberates there in the Trinity came into the world. And that's how it begins. It is in Christ. That's stage one. Stage two, eternal life comes to us through the word of life, the words of life. Jesus came, and according to John 6, 68, Peter, tempted to leave, Jesus says, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So the Son of God is life, has life in himself by nature. He penetrates our darkness. He takes on our nature and he begins to speak, teach, reveal truth. And you will know the truth and the truth will free you from sin. It will free you from mortality. It is by means of truth. It is by means of gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. It's the word of Christ and the word about Christ that brings life into our lives. Stage three. God draws us through those words toward life. God draws us through those words towards life. John 6, 44. No one is able to come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. But you have to come to Jesus if you're going to have life. Jesus is the only source of life. It's the only place we can get eternal life and escape perishing. And he says, nobody can come to me for life unless I draw them. Why is that? The reason is given in John 3, 19 and 20, where Jesus says the light has come into the world and this is judgment that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil and they will not come to the light of life lest their deeds should be exposed. By nature, John Piper hates the light of God. If I were left to myself, what I am by virtue of my birth and in my humanity, there would rise up in my heart a hatred of the light. It would blind me. It would be like the sun on a broad daylight with these human eyes. And I'd look up to it. I can barely look at those lights. If I, if I look at the, at the sun out there, I hate it. It hurts. I don't want to look at it. It's not made to look at, I believe. And that's the way people feel about 
God unless God does something. He's got to do something so that we start seeing Jesus. You've seen those bumper stickers, start seeing motorcycles. What does that mean? Where, where do they come from? Well, I, I know what it means. It doesn't mean that you've never seen a motorcycle. Start today. It means see them in a new way. Take heed. Relate to motorcycles. Well, now, you bump that up about 10,000 times. The bumper sticker on God's drawing is start seeing Jesus. Not because you've never heard of him in this culture, but because our seeing is so blurred. Our own nature blurs it, and you can't see him. So what God must do and what he does graciously in the preaching of the gospel is to start drawing people. And in the drawing, he blows some of the clouds away so that just enough of Jesus is seen so that he becomes compelling to those who come and believe. Stage four. We receive eternal life through believing. When you yield to that drawing of the Lord and you put your faith in Jesus, John 3.16 says, Whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. The reason for that is this. When you believe in Jesus, that belief plants you, inserts you, grafts you into Jesus like into a vine. John 5, 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. And the point of that image is, I have life. It courses through me. It belongs to me by nature. The only way you will have life is if by faith you unite with me, and now the sap of life starts running into your life. And that's what faith does. If we are to have the life of God in us, we must, by faith, join ourselves to Christ. And he then courses his life into us. I got a letter this week from a friend of mine. Some of you know John Enzer. was a student of mine way back at Bethel and was a conference pastor for a while. And now he is a part-time pastor and mainly one of the, most, one of the foremost pro-life speakers in Boston. And uh, he's leading people to Christ, to Christ right and left through his uh, ministry of, of mercy to women in crisis pregnancies. And it's remarkable. And in his Christmas letter, he gives a testimony in the first paragraph of this event where God draws and someone believes and new life miraculously comes into being eternally in a woman's heart. Let me read you the paragraph. You are aware of the many powerful works of God, both in Scripture and in the world today. God is doing some amazing things at home and abroad. Two weeks ago, Kristen, that's his wife, Kristen and I had a chance to lead a communist Chinese scholar to faith in Christ. She is a devotee of Mao Zedong. She's studying for her doctorate here in Boston. We had a chance to help her through a crisis. As a result, she gave her life to Christ. She's already, in two weeks, read all four Gospels. She came to our Christmas open house and sang carols to the Lord. I think in the days ahead there will be more of Christ and less of Mao. This is the power 
of God. And I say, indeed it is. And with you, I just want to pray, Lord, let the power come. Let it come on my preaching. Let it come on our witness. Let it come on our church and the evangelical movement in the Twin Cities. Let it come all around the world so that that story is multiplied millionfold day after day in this world. Stage five. In believing, in believing, we have eternal life now. Not just something we wait for in the future. That's the stress of this stage. Having crossed the line into life, let us now know that we have it now. Eternal life is not something we are waiting for. Here's the key text. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has, not will have, eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life has passed out of death into life. When you believe, the primary event of life-giving happens. At that moment, you pass out of death into life. And you might sit there saying, I'm not dead. You are dead if you don't know Christ. There's a spiritual deadness. That makes it impossible for you to see him and love him and enjoy him and believe him. And that's why the drawing of God is so needed. So that what happens in faith is that we pass out of death into life. And it is a glorious and marvelous miracle. And it's now. Now you have life. Stage six. This eternal life is a personal relationship with God the Father and God the Son. When Jesus defined eternal life. He only did it once, as far as I know. He defined eternal life. Do you remember how he said it? It was in a prayer. He was praying to his Father. Chapter 17 of this Gospel. Verse 3, he said, This is eternal life, that they know you, Father, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. From which I conclude that eternal life is a relationship of intimate knowing of God. Now, I stress this because I have the feeling that um, by tradition or maybe just the words themselves without the wider context, a lot of people have the idea that eternal life is like an inoculation. You experience something with God, a prayer, an event, a decision, and, and you you got your knocking, mm, whoa, I felt that. Mm. And then two days later, you you don't think about the fact that you've got an antibody in you. You say, in a crisis, you might say, Oh, I've got the antibody. It's in there, it's working, it's keep I've got it against mortality. Mortality will not happen to me because I got a shot. And you may live totally oblivious of this thing that's in you. That is not eternal life. That's not eternal life. Jesus said, this is eternal life. To know me and to know my Father. To have fellowship with God is eternal life. To commune with the living God day by day. If you treat eternal life as a shot, an inoculation you got when you were six, or 26, 
and you're living in total oblivion of this new thing in you, you may well not have it. A big question mark over your life. So I just want to, I want to put Jesus' definition of eternal life over this, this false impression that people have that it's, it's sort of like a conversion shot that went into you and now it's there. And, and if you have a close call in a car wreck, you might think about it and say, well, I'm sure glad it's there. Or if you get some awful pain in your side and there's this funny lump back here, then you say, well, I'm sure glad it's there that I prayed one time. Look, you're in trouble if that's the way you're relating to God. Eternal life is to know Him, to relate to Him, to commune with Him, to fellowship with Him in prayer and in His Word and in a life of obedience. All too imperfect for every one of us, believe me, but real day by day. Stage six, eternal life is a relationship with God. Stage seven, eternal life is not interrupted at death. It's not interrupted. And what I mean here is this. As you move, as Flossie last week moved on Tuesday... Saturday, it was Marion on Tuesday. Two of our saints who went to be with the Lord moved right up to the end there. They did not experience one millisecond of loss of eternal life. It isn't as though temporal death turns eternal life into temporary life. That doesn't happen. Death does not obstruct or hinder the flow of eternal life, which is relationship with the living God. Here's my text on that. John 11:25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Which means, I believe that last phrase qualifies and defines the first one. He who lives and believes in me will never die means that if you have an ongoing fellowship with the living God granted through faith in Jesus Christ and his life is coursing in you, you will never lose that experience. Never. Nobody's ever returned to say, but you will never lose that experience. One of the most powerful experiences I ever had in seminary. It is funny how non-planned, non-academic experiences turn out to be the most powerful experiences in seminary. This is almost 25 years ago now. I can picture it. Big church there in Pasadena packed for James. uh, Isn't that awful? Morgan. James Morgan's funeral. 37 years old. One of my teachers His wife sitting right down there on the front with four little children. Big, beautiful casket sitting there. Died of cancer after teaching me two courses. It was great sadness. And Louis Speeds, Speeds, who looks more like God than any human I have ever met. His long, flowing white hair and his 6'4 height and his booming voice was preaching from this text in John 11.25. And I've never heard anybody preach at a funeral like that. He loved James Morgan with all his heart. There was a kind of camaraderie in the faculty among a little group there that was stunning to us young students. And I remember this one point. I don't remember anything else he said except this one 
point, he rose to a crescendo and he said, James Morgan is not dead. Oh, I just, I wanted to leap out of my seat and say, Amen! Because it felt like faith drenched all over me. And that's true! That's true! And then he quoted this text from John eleven twenty five: Anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Flossie is not dead. Marion Newstrom is not dead. Because eternal life was granted to them years ago in this life, through faith, as Christ moved in. And when death came, there was no interruption. Their fellowship with the Lord was not broken. Stage eight. Eternal life will be made complete when our bodies are raised from the dead. John 6.40 This is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Right now, Flossie and Marion and others who've left us are in heaven. Their spirits are fellowshipping with the Lord in an intimacy and a beauty and a purity far outstripping ours right now, though ours is precious. But they yearn. For something more. They yearn for something more. Their redemption is not yet complete. Romans 8. We wait for redemption. The redemption of our bodies. We wait for adoption. The redemption of our bodies. And David and I were talking about how easy it is in funerals for us to get carried away and talk about the new body that they have. They don't have it yet. There is a not yet and a yearning and a longing among the saints in heaven to have their bodies raised. And eternal life will come to its consummation when the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends with the cry of command and the archangel and the dead in Christ are raised incorruptible. One last stage. You ask, what, what more could there be? And the answer is simply... The experience of God in the fullest intimacy, body, soul, and spirit, will last forever and ever and ever. How long is forever? How long is eternity? Does it ever scare you? Do you ever tremble at eternity? I do. Sometimes it scares me. Just the sheer reality of never-endingness. It did as a little boy. Oh, I can remember being scared. I would lay down, lie down on the top of the roof of my house. I've told you this before. We had these spiral stairs. And I'd walk up there at night and I'd lay down on the shingles and look up into the sky. And I would be so afraid that I might miss it. How long it would be. And I'd hear these numbers about the stars and how distant the galaxies are. And then I'd think about a God who made that. And then I'd think that it's going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever. And I would tremble. You ought to tremble about eternity. How long is it? You ever heard Jerry Healy give the illustration of how long eternity is or somebody else? I remember this from back at Bethel and I was there in a chapel message, probably 74, 75. Jerry Healy stood up. I forget his text, 
But I remember the illustration of eternity. He said, suppose a little bird flies to the beach and picks up a grain of sand and flies to the great plains and deposits the grain of sand and flies back. And every thousand years, he makes the trip. Picks up a grain of sand, brings it, puts it down. Another thousand years later, picks up another grain of sand. When that pile of sand is as high as Mount Everest, eternity will have begun. You don't want to miss this, folks. You don't want to go to hell. There is no back door. It goes on forever. And so does eternal life, which raises a big question. Will it get boring? <laughs> I was scared about that too as a kid because the images of heaven were not altogether attractive to me as a 12-year-old. But now I'm older and I have put away childish things, although still pearly gates do not do much for me. Neither do silver streets and glassy seas. But now I know that they are images of something vastly greater. And I have learned, especially from Jonathan Edwards, and I close with these quotes. Nobody, nobody in my experience thought about eternity like Edwards thought about eternity. And he asked the question, why eternity? And his answer was, it will take an eternity to have enough time for the human soul to probe to the heights and depths and lengths and breadths of the glories of God. I, until I read Edwards, had the notion that at my entrance into glory, I would have instant and total apprehension of all of God. And now I realize that would clobber me into smithereens. The reason there's an eternity is because we are going to be in our minds and in our hearts experiencing an ever-expanding apprehension of God. Let, let Edward say it. I don't do as well. This is a sermon preached 250 years ago where most good sermons were preached. The fountain that supplies the joy and delight which the soul has in seeing God is an infinite fountain. The understanding may extend itself as far as it will. It does but take its flight into an endless expanse and dive into a bottomless ocean. It may discover more and more of the beauty and the loveliness of God, but it will never exhaust the fountain. And then commenting on Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, where it says, remember... May God grant you the power to comprehend the height and depth and length and breadth and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Have you ever been boggled by that verse? He prays that you will have power to comprehend what can't be comprehended. Here's, here's uh, Edward's effort with that verse. We can never by soaring and ascending come to the height of the love of God. We can never by descending come to the depth of the love of God. 
or by measuring know the length and the breadth of it. Let the thoughts and the desires extend themselves as they will. Here is space enough for them in which they may expand forever and ever. Now, that's my picture of eternity. My heart expansively, forever expandingly seeing more of God. He goes on. How blessed, therefore, are they that do see God who are come to this exhaustless fountain after they have had the pleasure of beholding the face of God millions of ages. It will not grow a dull story. The relish of this delight will be as exquisite as ever. Amen. God, hasten the day. Wrap it up, Lord. Bring us home. Well, I'm done, and let me just close with this question. Where are you now? Where are you in the nine stages of eternal life? I know that everyone in this room is at least at stage two, which was the stage where truth is spoken, where the Word of God is made manifest. Are you at the point of just having your eyes slightly opened and feeling yourself drawn? Or at you, are you at the point this morning where perhaps while I was preaching you said, that's it, I'm not going to resist anymore, I yield, I believe. Or at you, are you somewhere in here? Some of you are going to die in 1995 in this room, which means you'll come right up to that point and you'll need to believe with all your heart that that will not mean an interruption in your eternal life. We as the staff were praying on Tuesday and we were saying, how can we respond to people who are being touched in these, in these messages? And because if, if, if one of you right now were to put your faith in Jesus, we said, what are we going to do? How are we going to help them? How are we going to pray for them? How are we going to get them into a discipling relationship or help them on in their Christian life? We don't even know who they are. And so what we did was open your worship folder. You've got it open perhaps and take out that little, uh, Response thing, this is what we want to do in the last two minutes. There's different kinds of responses here that we hope many of you will fill out. Let me read through it with you just quickly. On this special day of celebration and self-examination, and in the light of the wonderful destiny of eternal life for whoever trusts in God's Son, I want to say that, and then several of these might apply. I, for the first time, began to believe in Jesus as my Savior while hearing these sermons on John 3.16. Or, I came to faith in Christ earlier this year with the help of maybe some friend. Or, I need help to grow in my new faith through personal study and meeting with someone one-on-one or in a small group interaction. Or, I do not yet have assurance of the destiny of John 3.16 that it promises, and I would like to talk to someone about it. Or, I intend to use this four-point outline of John 3.16 to witness to, and we would pray with you about this person you're going to talk to. Or, just something that God's been doing in your life. I want to take one minute in silence here, let you fill that out with a name and a phone number. When you leave, we'll just lay them face down on the ends of the pews as you go out. And then David and his team will gather them. And uh, if we can be of any help to you at all, we really want to respond and, and link arms with God to bring you further on in your experience of eternal life. So let's just bow and quietly wait on the Lord while he guides us in this. Lord, I pray for those who are in one of those stages moving toward life, that you would draw them on in, that you would grant them to yield 
to your tuggings and to believe. That they would love you, trust you, follow you, commune with you, experience the present reality and power of Christ's eternal life within them. Through Christ I pray. Amen.